to the Heads Up Podcast. I am Jason Rogers, the head of school of Rundle College Society, and I'll be your host for this season's episode. With each new podcast, we hope to explore interesting topics relating to Rundle College student, faculty, and parent life. This season, you'll hear interviews with faculty, parents, alumni, students, and educational experts. Each episode will aim to provide an insight and context to the happenings in and around our community. Thank you for joining me and everybody in the Rumble College Society on this journey, and I hope you enjoy this Rumble experience. Welcome back to the Heads Up Podcast. On today's episode, I'm excited to share with you a trip that some of our teachers have recently took. But before I get to that, let's rewind for a second. I want to take a minute and just talk about professional development here at Rundle College and I suppose more broadly in the professional context of education. I'm sure many of our listeners are wondering what exactly do teachers do to continue to improve? And here at Rundle, we know and believe that the crux or the most important part of our entire program is having the best teachers anywhere. So it naturally drives the question, uh, what do teachers at Rundle do in the way of professional development to continue to improve their instruction and their overall learning around, you know, what's best for our students? So to answer the question, I think it's best if you even go back to episode 21 where uh, I did an interview with our head of professional development, Mr. Jamie Berlin. He took us through a number of, of the learning opportunities and the, the big thinking here at Rundle. But to recap, I mean, there are a lot of opportunities for our teachers to continue to improve, whether it's traditional PD, like keynote speakers and breakout sessions. A good example of that is we'll be bringing in a, a woman from a company called Graydon this spring, and she's doing coaching workshops with our teachers, which will hopefully help them continue to improve in uh, coaching methodology and helping their students and themselves be the best that they can be. There's things like book clubs, uh, here at the junior high college campus, we're currently studying a book called The Innovator Mindset by George Kuros. This is where we get together, you know, every so often and discuss parts of the book and talk about how it impacts our day-to-day -day interactions in our school. Other opportunities for professional development are your traditional conferences, be it in Banff or Edmonton or Jasper or Vancouver. Uh, there's a thing called Spark PD, which is working at the academy and has been there for several years. Uh, many of the listeners may have heard of such a thing as, you know, 20 time or um, FedEx days. It's those opportunities where uh, teachers come together without a structured professional development plan, but just ask good questions and explore those questions in the context of their teaching and their school. And you wouldn't believe how many great innovations have come out of that at the Rundle Academy environment. But today I want to talk about most specifically one of my favorite PD opportunities which we like to offer to our faculty and staff here is uh, school tours from you know places outside of the Calgary region. Now recently we had a group of our primary teachers go all the way to San Diego, California to do a number of school tours. Now you may think well, gosh, that's an awfully long way to go to find out something new about education. Uh, but I, I suspect the interview that's to follow this introduction 
uh, will answer the question as to why we went so far away to find the answers we were looking for. In particular, Miss Denis and her teachers went down looking at charter schools in the San Diego area who work specifically in the area of design thinking. So it's going to be really interesting to hear from them as to what they took away from their experience and how it applies to our Rundle College community. So without any further ado, help me welcome Miss Denis and a number of her faculty to today's podcast. Okay, here we are. I'm sitting in my office. It's, uh, I guess it's Tuesday afternoon. Mm -hmm. I've got Lisa Denis, Cheryl Lenvoy, Colleen Neal, and Lisa Salter here with me, and they're the dynamic team that went down to San Diego to see a bunch of schools. And so I'm going to start with the first question. I'm going to pass it over to Colleen here. And I'm going to say, you know, why did you go to San Diego for professional development? Um, well, it was brought to us that Rundle's looking at some design thinking. So right. down in San Diego, there's a ton of schools that Lisa found, yep. um, all based in design thinking. So we really wanted to go and see um, the background behind it, how they started it, where they've come, um, and bring that back for us to try. Cool. And were they private and charter schools? Were they public schools? Was there a variety? So there was a variety. We saw um, three public charter schools and two private schools. Right on. And what were the names of the schools? We went to High Tech High, which consisted of High Tech High, High Tech Middle, and High Tech Elementary, mm -hmm. Design 39 Campus, La Jolla Day Country School, um, Francis Parker, and Urban Discovery Academy. <laughs> right on. That one was downtown. Right on. Yeah. And of all those schools you went to, the name High Tech High stands out. Um, let's start there with part of the conversation. Can anybody tell me about, you know, what is High Tech High and maybe why it's called that? Well, High Tech High is a charter school that started a number of years ago. I believe they have five different campuses now in the San Diego area. And interesting to the name, technology is the focus of it, but when you see the school itself, it has technology not in the way that we anticipated technology would be implemented. Right. In fact, there was quite an absence of technology. It was certainly used as a powerful tool to support their learning, mm -hmm. but I know one thing that really stuck out for me was there wasn't one person that we saw on a cell phone in our entire two and a half hour journey that Amazing. we were there. Amazing. And um, so that was really neat. A lot of engagement and a lot of interactions and a lot of play that we've witnessed amongst the students from the younger years all the way up to high school. So right on. And my understanding of high tech highs is big time project based learning. Yes. Is that yes. correct? Very much so. So for those parents who are listening who are maybe not familiar with what project based learning is, can you take take them through just a little bit of, of what that looks like? Well, from my understanding, or from what we witnessed, project-based learning is when the students are presented with something that's very, a problem that exists in the real world. Something right. that is real world, where there's the opportunity to try and make a meaningful difference or change in the mm. world with that. So they're encouraged to investigate what those problems might be. There are connections to the curriculum. And they go through an inquiry process, they gather the research, and then it's culminated in a formal presentation of their understanding, which they label as an exhibition. Right, right. And how, in the, your observations, yeah. how are the kids responding to that type of learning? I thought really powerfully. Yeah. We saw some really powerful displays, ones that um, 
really sort of touched the heart and mm -hmm. certainly excited the mind as well. Yeah. I know I can think of one that I thought was really interesting. In the grade 12 year at High Tech High, they have to have an internship for a month, so they pursue an area of interest to yeah. study. And this one individual that we heard about, her interest was in filming and technology. And so she chose to develop a relationship with the Holocaust Museum in Los Angeles. And she drove up there every day, it was a two hour drive. Yeah. She interviewed Holocaust survivors. And then she put together a full documentary wow. on what she learned and is now being exhibited at the <coughs> Holocaust Museum in Los Angeles. And in addition to that, it will increase your chances to get into film studies because of the of type of quality that was produced. So of course. I know that resonated really well with me. I thought that was pretty amazing. And for the others in the room, was there any other kind of projects that, that jumped to mind that were really moving? Yeah, I think my favorite one was at High Tech Middle. Yeah. And um, as, as you walked into High Tech Middle, there was a huge whale hanging from the ceiling. And it was a project in which they looked at waste in San Diego, mm -hmm. and the kids actually went to the beaches and collected garbage, and they made a whale out of the garbage they collected. No way. And yeah. it was it was a beautiful piece that was hanging from the ceiling. And it was a life-size baby whale. Yeah. yeah. It was Amazing. really yeah. memorable, and it was all made just from the garbage that they collected. So. Yeah. That's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, that'd be a very, very like yeah. poignant reminder of what Absolutely. we're doing to our yeah. oceans. And yes. Yeah. And so interdisciplinary. Yeah. Everything was connected so that you saw the math, the art, the writing, every, everything was all connected together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there was one in the, I believe it was the La Jolla Day School, and they mm -hmm. had a laser woodcutter, but the students actually in high school built the laser woodcutter from scratch. They built all their own no to technology yeah. and yeah. tools. That's yeah, part of their books. Books. Yeah, and displays on the wall. It's all student built that's and totally movable. amazing yeah. right yeah. yeah i'd have to assume like the engagement in those spaces is extremely high with the students would you say Just that was your observation absolutely yes i think creates that engagement right they're so proud of what they've done mm -hmm. and that they created all of this that they want to share it with everybody totally and it's all out there for everybody to see and i think i'm jumping ahead of myself i mean i haven't asked even the second question yet but i'm curious you guys are Talking about junior high and high school experience, like these are the big, big experiences. How does this transfer to the primary levels, in your opinion? I'm sure you've had those those conversations. Yeah. It was fabulous. Like we saw uh, at Design 39, I believe, and at Francis Parker, like full-on woodworking shops in action for primary students where they were hammering and sawing and you know, taking in nail or putting in nails and taking them out. It was like they were fully engaged, like doing, we saw them do a free build and Well, an example from there too was when they, they had grade twos create math games for the kindergarten kids. So in, they right. had to create what the math was, but then in their design class, they had to actually build and make the dice. And then in their art class, they had to make the yes. little pawns, the pieces that they would play with. Awesome. Right? And so it was all completely interdisciplinary, no matter what age group. Right on. No, it sounds yeah. really, really powerful. Okay, let's move on to the second question. Um, and we got a little bit ahead of ourselves in the first segment there. We, we talked all about design thinking, but we forgot to define it for our listeners who might not be totally familiar with what this is. So I'm going to start with you, Lisa. Um, why don't you first, for our listeners, tell them in general terms what design thinking is, and then I'm going to pass it over to the, 
um, to the other guests today to talk about um, why schools will be choosing to focus on such thing. So, okay. Lisa, why don't you take it away? I think design thinking is a process that we're encouraging students to go through to try and solve a problem. Mm -hmm. And it's a step-by-step -step where you are predicting different ways to solve a problem, but then you have the opportunity to actually test your ideas, your creations, and in doing those testings, you're really developing a sense of empathy because not everything right. is going to work and you, things will fail. Yep. It's working in collaboration in this, in this process. And then it's the opportunity to, to, to test it, to assess it, and eventually you're taking it apart right. and going through the process again. So I think it's a wonderful way to really foster creativity, curiosity, and certainly work towards stronger problem-solving skills. Totally. And what I hear you saying are those like important competencies for our kids, like empathy, collaboration, being able to yes. prototype, being able to, you know, really evaluate their problems and, and come up with solutions. Right, and thinking of different ways to solve problems, yeah. not just following one process, That's but right. thinking outside of the box and looking at a problem from lots of different perspectives and angles and, and that group work and working together to solve it, I think really strengthens a lot of skills. Totally. Persevering through it when right. it fails. Mm -hmm. Totally. Knowing that. that it's okay if it fails. Yeah. And we can fix it and we yep. can change it and come up with new ideas and that's okay. I love that. And I think that's entering into the second part of the question is like, why is this uh, so important to schools? Like uh, we were talking earlier and I, you know, it's got to be important to us because we traveled all the way to San Diego as a team yeah. to check it out. So uh, in your opinions, why, why do you think this is important for our schools? Uh, I believe like the empathy piece, uh, mm -hmm. just as technology is growing and we deal with concerns about social media mm -hmm. and totally. um, you know awareness like that, I think it's great that these schools are bringing empathy to the forefront just yeah. as, as a bigger focus 100%. Um, as technology grows. So. Yeah, I think that connection, that empathy, whether it's in a design or just in a personal context Absolutely. is really important. Absolutely. And the connection to the outside world for the students as well. Right. So these were all sort of humanitarian focused projects and they were doing it for a purpose. They were doing it for someone else. So I think that giving component was also really important. Yeah, it's like that what the world yeah. needs now yeah. piece, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Like we need Absolutely. problem solvers who are willing to solve these big problems that are mm -hmm. coming yeah. forward. And I also love the element that it's hands-on. They're actually building, they're working with their hands, right. they're moving about. They're not solving it on a computer necessarily. They're mm -hmm. having the opportunity to step outside and sort of visually see what they've created. Yeah, yeah. Which I think is, I, I think kids really enjoy that. And perhaps it's a piece that we've stepped away from in the yeah. previous years and now we're stepping back into it. To cry. Super motivator, right? Yeah, yeah very we were much all so. talking about how even when we went to school like shop and woodworking and home ec and all of those pieces were part of it whereas most school systems now it's yeah not segmented. Or, yeah, it's segmented as a vocational yeah. or, right but this was all integrated <laughs> all integrated and hands-on yeah right on no totally i think that's all reasons yeah. why why we might be focusing on it yeah. now on to question three um I'm really curious on these school tours that, that you went on, there's always things that stick with you, like the aha, I'm never going to forget that, was that ever interesting um, piece, and that's really the essence of this question. What's the most interesting thing that you observed while you're in the schools in San Diego? And Cheryl, I'll start with you on this one. I think for me the most memorable was at Francis Parker, we went into a wood shop mm -hmm. and grade two students were using tools to do a free build. So yeah. they were hammering and sawing and they had the proper safety gear on and they were all engaged 
nobody was getting injured and it was just it was so memorable I just I remember thinking how well organized it was and just seeing what an experience it was for those kids not one student was fooling around no you yeah. didn't see hammers and saws flying in the air <laughs> they totally. kind of all just knew the safety protocol and what to do and they were so engaged in what they were building yeah. that that's what they wanted to do and it's totally like the sign of an engaged space right mm-hmm. um, coming from Rundle I know our class sizes are 14 or 15 small class sizes I'm curious about their class sizes now that we've been talking about what size classes did did you see so there was one school they were about us they had a wasn't La Jolla 11 they only had yeah. 11 in their yeah. classes but yeah. that, they said that was a strange year. Usually they're around 14, 15, the same as us. Yeah. Um, I think the rest of them were around 20, 20 22 yeah. um, for class size. In the, in the mm-hmm. earlier in the, years. In the, yeah, younger ones. Cool. Well, that's really cool. And to hear that it's still working out at 2022, but it's about engagement and being mm-hmm. involved in those pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, Lisa, we were talking earlier about your aha or the surprising thing around high tech high and talking about technology use at High Tech High, why don't you go a little bit deeper into your observations there? Well, I think maybe it was my own sort of understanding of technology, mm-hmm. and I thought it would just be a real techie school where everybody was in, was on computers and doing sure. all this technical stuff. But there was a lot of chart paper and a lot of, of creation and writing and non-use of technology. Yeah. And in fact, there was almost an absence of technology. And I felt that quite fascinating. I'd still say my greatest aha moment at that school in particular was the absence of cell phones amongst the high school and middle school children. And tablets and laptops. And it was just so lovely, for lack of a better word, to watch Mm. them on their lunch hour outside playing volleyball, engaged, sitting around, having lunch together. And nobody was playing on a digital device For I sure. just felt that was really powerful yeah it's really cool and it's a great thing to live up to in today's day and age where we're so tech dependent yes and I think that's an important part of our schools is to remember that the technology is just a tool it shouldn't yeah. be everything no. and I think I think that's really important probably exactly what you saw at high tech high which is so ironic ironic given that's it's exactly name, you know? the title <laughs> Yeah. Just to see the social relationships between those kids yeah. with that lack of phone. It, there was eye contact. Yeah. There was talking to groups. At lunch, they were playing volleyball. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, they were just interacting, not just sitting on a device. Totally. Mm-hmm. And there's a great documentary out there about High Tech High, which give you a bit of the flavor of it. Okay. I can't remember the title of it, though. So if you are listening and you care enough... Uh, email me and I will send you the title of it, but it's awesome. I'm aware of that documentary. Yeah, I can't think of what it is either. Okay, doesn't but I think matter. I looked at it before we went. Okay, before we close on this um, question, was there anything else that really stood out um, to, to the crews being like... One thing I liked was um, in the project-based learning um, in quite a few of the schools actually that we visited, they would have something called an exhibition or a street fair to display their projects. And I mean, of course, in San Diego, they would have it set up outside in a corridor and a lot of the students would sell some of their products or, you know, if they designed it to to solve a problem. So it was, I kind of like that. It's like our celebration of learning almost, but presented in a different no kidding. You know, format. And every school we went to, it was called an exhibition. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Every single school. I know IB, that's what they call it. Okay. At the, Pew, at the primary years program, they call mm-hmm. it an exhibition, which is at the end of the year, a culmination activity yeah. to display, mm-hmm. you know, something they're interested in. Um, I think for me, another real powerful 
piece was just the meaningful projects and how their goal was to make a difference in the world. Right. All of the schools had this focus that they wanted their children to be change makers. Right. Totally. I think that's huge. And I think if a gift we could give to our kids is to think uh, yeah. in that frame because it's really powerful it quite is moving. Powerful. I think it's just a big change from your traditional. When you yes. look at when you went to all of those schools, a lot of them didn't have your traditional desks and mm -hmm. chairs. Mm -hmm. It was dynamic seating mm -hmm. and it was all movable. Every piece of furniture had a dual purpose. Yes. Every and wall was movable. Walls, yeah. everything and vertical learning spaces yes. and they slid through the hallways, through the schools. <laughs> yeah. um, it was just really neat to see and that's what the kids were used to and Absolutely. loved. They could move around. Cool. And I think I think in some of our contexts, even though we have fairly traditional spaces, given four walls and all the rest, I think we are seeing changes in some of the physicality of our rooms, whether yes. it is standing spaces or creative furniture or those sorts of things. Absolutely. So hopefully we'll continue to see that evolve. I think it's really important for kids. Well, and I think in fairness, our learning commons is a really positive reflection of That's that true. dynamic learning space and yeah. how it can be readjusted to fit the needs of the students or the faculty very easily yeah we see it all the time yeah. and I think yeah I think it's a great path forward for sure it's huge on to question number four um, and we know with any teacher professional development we want our faculty to you know go away and then come back with something that's useful for the school or for their students or to improve learning that's always the center of any professional development we do so the, I have to ask the question um, how do you think this could impact the primary school moving forward I'll start with you Colleen go for it I'm so excited for it to impact our primary school. Um, as soon as we got back, we have clubs starting, so I decided when we were in San Diego, I made my club <laughs> <Yeah>. and <laughs> um, called it the Maker Club Awesome. and came back and went out and bought little hammers and nails and wood um, and we're just going to do an introduction to tools right on. and I think that's just a starting point from yeah. where we can move um, and to see the kids so excited for just something so small that yeah. they get to take and do um, completely excites me and I can't wait to see where we take it and it goes. I can't wait to see what the Maker Club makes. You know, that's really, <laughs> really, really exciting. Do we see, sorry, go ahead, Colleen. I don't know, we'll see in a few weeks <laughs> what comes of it. Do you see any other places where, where the primary school could be headed as a result of, of, the, of the design thinking tour? I think for me, one of the one of my big takeaways, so being the principal of the school, I took my team leads and this was a great opportunity for us to collaborate in sort of a leadership type of capacity and to see my team leads so inspired by what was observed and the different things that they could bring into the classrooms, I see them spread, spreading a lot of that passion and interest and curiosity to their um, colleagues. Yes. So that was a real growth piece for me. I think how it would directly impact the students, I do see strengthening of the problem solving. Mm -hmm. and, and speaking to what Lisa mentioned earlier, that opportunity to really develop empathy, I think right. is, a, is a goal that I would like us to embark, or a journey I'd like us to embark on. Exciting, exciting. And I'm excited for students who, you know, just learn that way by hands-on right. and you know they're not the kids to totally. sit in traditional spaces or to have pencil and paper or iPad tasks like they yep. would rather have a hammer and nail and and just be right into Work it, it so I'm way. so excited for like the different <laughs> for kids who love to learn right? that way yeah, yeah so it is so exciting yeah and I'm thinking about how we do 
projects already within our school, but how can we make it more interdisciplinary? How can we make those connections with, um, you know, the humanitarian focus? And so that's kind of what I've been thinking about. How can we do that? And what are the questions? I think the overarching big the questions, questions that we can start with to get our kids engaged. Right, right. That was And thinking. I agree, because mm-hmm. that was sort of a bit of a shift for us, too, is that when you're presenting new information or new curriculum, always present it with a question. And the questions, we, you know, we left with a number of questions. We took pictures of questions mm-hmm. that we saw in the schools yes. that we thought would be great questions at grade one or grade two. And, and um, what was the pattern one? How might... I can't remember what the pattern was. It was something along the lines of what are patterns and where in the world can you find them? Yes. Right. Yeah. That's a great question. Yeah. That's yeah. really, really intriguing. And that was for kindergarten. Yeah, that was yeah. so awesome. Yeah. 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 They had, that was one. their exhibition. So it yeah. came along with, they had animal patterns, they had number patterns. Seashells. Seashell patterns Love on it. seashells. Yeah. So it was anywhere in their world they yeah. could find patterns. Which leads right to the last question that I've got for you guys. And so I may put you on the spot just a little bit, but we are talking about questions. And so as you leave San Diego um, on this design thinking tour, um, what questions did you leave with? So if each of you, maybe as we go around, can just let us know what question you're left with as a result of of your trip. Start with you, Colin. Sure. Uh, I guess my question was, how can I bring all of this awesomeness into my classroom. Yeah, yeah. What's the first thing I can go into my room and change and adapt yeah. to make my kids love learning the way that I saw these kids love learning? Awesome. That's like that's the best great. PD <laughs> yeah. ever yeah. if you leave with that. Yeah, yeah. that's great. Um, yeah, sure. I think my question was, I sort of want to know how did they dive into it? You know, how did did they just all of a sudden dive into it? And we didn't necessarily get to see all that back work that they did. We were just seeing where they're at now. Right. You know, was it a longer journey or how long did it take? Yeah. And did everybody buy in at first? And I think to me, that's what I'm thinking about. Like, how did they get to where they are? Yeah. These are all important parts of the puzzle, Mm -hmm. aren't they? Yeah. Lisa? Um, I know when we were at Francis Parker, they spent a lot of time creating their own personalized design process. And it was different than what we'd yeah. seen at the other school. So I know one of my wonderings or questions I came back with is if we were to design our own design process at the primary level, mm-hmm. what might that look like? Mm-hmm. Totally. Totally. That's fascinating. Yeah. Lisa Salter? Um, again, the kind of piece that I was left questioning, and I know we did talk to some of the staff members there who were going through the process, about assessment. Like, right, right, of course. In, throughout this design thinking process, yeah. because it is such a different way of learning, what is the most effective way to assess and, you know, tied in with our our curriculum with standards our curriculum, and, totally, and yeah. um, you know, making, making sure you have all of your bases covered that way. So, yeah. and they were very honest with us. Um, the one gal yes. at, um, I believe it was Urban Discovery Academy, yes. and she said again it was a real shift and a real change, no and that they were still working through that yeah. piece to an extent yeah. to to make sure, but that it was a real shift for parents and you know totally everybody involved. But they were yeah. So I think just it's <laughs> really important. I think that like constraint being the Alberta curriculum in some respects uh, has to be considered but it also drives creativity Mm -hmm. like having a constraint like that does drive creativity and and I think that's part of the excitement of the journey moving forward is how do you make these two come together into this into the space where we're motivating kids and having them engage in solving big world problems and understanding uh, design thinking and problem solving and it's really really exciting from 
you know, my perspective, and I can see that you guys are excited as well. Um, so yeah, that's it. I want to thank you guys for joining me today. Also, thanks to the our friends in San Diego who helped yes. us on this tour. Yes. Um, there's a lot of goodwill that goes into this sort of thing because it certainly takes time out of their day and takes energy to, to allow us to learn. So anybody in San Diego who, who helped us out, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. They, were they were fabulous. Yeah. Right on. Well, hopefully some of them will pick up the podcast and listen to it. That would be really cool. Okay. Well, thank, thank you. you so much. And uh, yeah, see you in the next episode.